Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. What's going on, Garfield Memorial? Oh, man. Hey, it's good to be in the house. Good to be with you. Uh, I must say it is always incredible uh, to do anything that has uh, a part with uh, Pastor Chip Free. Like this is this is my brother from another mother. Come on, say man. He just he just good people. And so um, I've, I've heard about Garfield and I've heard about the things that God's been doing here, not just locally, but all over the world. And it's just it's just pretty cool to be able to be here in person. Uh, also, to be able to be a part of what uh, God's doing through Taylor. And man, what an incredible what an incredible message in that song. Thank you. Thank you for your leadership. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've said this before, but the reality is that if we're really going to do this work well, uh, we sometimes have to say things that are hard to hear. Come on, say amen. Um, and the reality is the person that we're celebrating the next couple days uh, lived that out from uh, the Montgomery bus boycott to the bridge in Selma to the March on Washington to his message about war at the Riverside Church. Uh, Dr. King became one of those uh, messengers, one of those prophets, one of those individuals that, that simply said that we must live up to our creed. We need to be who we say we are. And the reality is that got him in trouble. And the reality is it'll get you in trouble too. Come on, say amen. It'll get you in trouble too. He said things like this. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. The ultimate measure of a man or woman is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. The reality is that my father talks about this, that when, when King was alive, most people didn't want him in their churches, even black churches, because his message was so disruptive. Pe- people were afraid of what could happen if they welcomed him in their midst. And, and the reality is that in, in our day today, like we have a high approval rating of Dr. King. But when he was alive, it was about 13 and it got as high as 30%. (laughs) Think about that for a second. We prefer today, if we're honest, a safe and a sanitized King. We we actually, if we're honest, we prefer a safe and sanitized Jesus. And and if you live long enough, people will want a safe and sanitized version of you. 
And so if you don't mind, we're going we're gonna to try to step into some territory that might call you out of that place uh, for just a moment. Um, I'm, I'm doing a wedding this weekend, this Saturday. I'm doing a wedding uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Two of uh, two people that I love dearly. Uh, one of them was a part of our church in Detroit. Uh, the other is in, uh, from Honduras. It's my first bilingual wedding, uh, Pastor Chip. I've never done a bilingual wedding. It's my first wedding in Spanish and in English. But my first wedding that I ever did um, was in Greensboro, North Carolina, and it was two of my interns. He was from Ghana. He was Ghanaian, and, and she was from the U.S., and she has Irish roots. And so we're out at the lake, and the wedding is about to start, and his family has flown in from Ghana in their kente cloth, and they got some of their family on the djembe, you know, getting it in, you know what I'm saying? And then her family's playing the Irish flute as she's coming down the aisle, and I'm looking at her. I'm like, I'm so proud of you. I'm looking at him like, man, you know what's up? You know what I mean? And we, you know, we just kind of vibing or whatever, and a gnat flies in my ear. And I go from this beautiful music and scenery to you know, and she's coming down the aisle, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, she's looking at me like, you good? You all right? He was like, bro, you, you, you all right? And so I'm starting to kind of, you know, play it off, like, hey, everybody, you know, I'm trying to dig in there to get it. And every time I dig down, it goes deeper, and the sound gets louder. And then finally, y'all, I get it out. And I tell you that because sometimes when we have these kinds of conversations, when we talk about these kinds of issues, there's a gnat that can fly in our ear. There's some, some other priority. There's some other reality that sometimes can, can drown out the sound of reconciliation and truth and love and hope. And sometimes it's our politics and sometimes it's our pain and sometimes it's other stuff. But I want to suggest to you as we dive into the message today, if you'll join me and going in your ear. And if there is a gnat, let's get that gnat out in Jesus' name. Come on, say amen. So let's turn, if you don't mind, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's begin around the 11th verse. Uh, and I'll be reading from the New uh, International Version. And it says this. It says, therefore. Somebody shout, therefore. therefore. Now, let me just say, I, I kind of grew up Baptocostal, so I'm a talk-back kind of preacher. Is that all right? Yeah. Uh, y'all with Pastor Chip, I know y'all good. But therefore, remember. Somebody shout, remember. remember. That formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who have called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Verse 12, remember, somebody shout remember, remember. that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope mm, and without God in the world. But now, somebody shout, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who are far away, once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I, I don't know about you, but I grew up, you know, in this, this kind of environment where they used to sing like, there's power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is We might go on tour, y'all, y'all, we might. But, but touch the mind and say, there's power, power in the blood. 
But if you understand this text, there's some things we got to unpack about this. So I was in um, Washington, D.C. for a conference in 1999. I had recently recommitted my life to Christ in 98, and I took some students. I was a a college administrator at the time. And uh, we're at this conference by Bishop T.D. Jakes. It's called Manpower. And uh, it's Saturday morning. It's like the last day of the conference, and I'm so excited about the speaker. Uh, And and I I got my notepad out. That was when we had big Bibles with highlighters. Y'all ain't saying amen. Uh, I had my big Bible with my highlighter. And and there was this guy who was behind me who was just loud. I mean, he wasn't saying anything bad. He wasn't being negative. He was just saying stuff like, preach it, brother. Tell it like it is, brother. You want fire, brother. Now, I come from a call and response environment. You can probably tell. But like for 30 minutes, Nat, ear. And at the end of the message, at the end of the message, the preacher says, I want you to turn to somebody close to you, and I want you to pray. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to turn to my right, I'm turning to my left. You know, it was not one of my finer spiritual moments, I must admit. I'm looking for somebody else. And then finally, I'm like, really, God, are you serious? And I turn around. He's like, looks like it's me and you. <laughs> so this brother starts praying. I mean, he's calling out fire from heaven. I'm not really praying. I'm like, God, when is this going to be over? He says, amen. I say, amen. I'm like, Shh, thank God that's done. I turn around. And Taylor, I start feeling some conviction. I shouldn't have treated that brother in Christ like that. Around the same time, he starts tapping me on the shoulder. He's like, hey, 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 bro. I feel like God wants us to pray again. So I turn back around. I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to pray for real this time. Have you ever had that moment where you felt like God's presence filled a room? Have you ever felt like like God was right there with you ministering? I'm weeping. I'm crying. God is ministering through this brother. I turn back around. I sit down, and the people who are with me are like, what just happened? He taps me on the shoulder again. He says, bro, I feel like like we're supposed to stay in contact with each other. He hands me his business card. I hand him mine. Come to find out, we have the same last name name. After further conversation, I realized this is a distant cousin I have never met before. True story. I was this close to missing something from God because of what the package looked like. I was this close missing an opportunity to to encounter uh, a family, to encounter the presence of God, the love of God, the hope of God, simply because of who it came through. And I want to challenge us in this hour to not be so quick to judge people because of the outward experiences and, and things that we see, but there's something that God wants to do that if we're open to his possibilities, we might get a chance to see it. And so I want to talk to you, if you don't mind, from a little while, from the thought or from the subject, from strangers to family. From strangers to family. Let's pray. Father, we know the flower fades, the grass withers, but your word stands forever. Speak into this moment. Move me at the background. May you be at the forefront. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, speak now and give us all the courage to respond in obedience. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Somebody shout amen. Amen.
Now, I will say this. Um, unlike most of Paul's writings, uh, Ephesians does not deal with the myriad of conflicts in the church. Uh, I mean, he's very specific. The first uh, three chapters of Ephesians is about who we are in Christ. Somebody shout in. As a matter of fact, in chapter two, we read that over and over. Uh, Paul is talking about who we are in Christ. And then the last three chapters of Ephesians are really about the practical steps of what we do based on what we know about who we are. Are y'all with me? Can I just teach this? Uh, the reality is there's some things that we understand uh, about this, this particular book that are critically important for people like us. Uh, we are right now in Cleveland, Ohio, a port city, much like the city of Detroit. And the reality is the city of Ephesus was similar. It was a port city. There was a lot of uh, uh, commerce. There were a lot of uh, things happening around them. There were a lot of good things. And then there was a lot of darkness. And so Paul is writing to this new church, and he's trying to help them to understand understand based on where you are, God wants to use you to reach the world. But if you're going to reach the world, you're going to have to understand how to move people from strangers to family. And if you don't understand how to do that, if, if you can't embrace the realities of what that might look like, you might not be able to accomplish what God wants you to do. And I believe that we're called to be bridge builders in a society that's built on divisions. I mean, there's the Democrat and the Re Republican. There's the saved and the unsaved. There, there's the documented and undocumented. There are those who believe in vaccines and those who don't. Those that want to wear masks and those who don't. Those who cheer for the Bengals and those who cheer for the Browns. Y'all ain't saying amen. Help us, Lord. Help everybody. <laughs> In Jesus' name. But what does God, what does God, the master builder of our lives, and his son, the chief cornerstone of the church, have to say to us in this season? I believe there's some things we find in this text. Uh, the reality is there are basically two groups of people. There are Jews here and there are Gentiles. The, 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 the reality is we, if we're not, uh, if we're honest, most of us would have been considered Gentile. Why? Because there's no connection to any Jewish heritage. There's no connection to any Hebrew uh, uh, origin. The reality is all of us would have been considered Gentile. Now, why is that significant? Because Gentiles were considered outsiders and Jews were considered insiders. Are y'all with me? Yes, uh, as a matter of fact, in John 4, 22, when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well, he says salvation is of the Jews, mm -hmm. not the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. So what comes out of this is that Gentiles were a people, as we see in this text, who were without hope, who, who were out without promise. Like the reality is, that's the bad news. Somebody shout bad news. Bad news. But thank God, thank God. Thank for verse 13. <laughs> but now, somebody shout but now. But now. Oh, but now. Hell, hell would have had a party if it ended at verse 12. But the scripture says in verse 13, but now, but now. Can, I, can we just take a praise break and thank God for those of us in the room who can relate to a but now. But now, but now he brings us out. But now, thank you God for delivering me from my mess. Thank you for bringing me out of the stuff that I was stuck in. But now, some of you have graduated magna cum laude and others summa cum laude, but there's others of us who've just graduated. Thank you, Lordy. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you for how you've blessed. Thank you for moving me from strength Strangers oh, to family. I love the way Tim Keller says it. He says it this way. He says, Jesus sees me as is, accepts me as is, saves me as is, yet by his grace never leaves me as is. Oh, that's good. That's good. So uh, I'm going to give you three points. And, and this is for those in the room who might fall asleep. 
Um, the first point is our position. Somebody shout position. The second point is our opposition. Somebody shout opposition. And the third point is we're going to deal with family unity. Everybody shout family unity. You know, so, so if you fall asleep, if you get you know, distracted or whatever, uh, by the end you at least got the three points. So let's talk about our position. Somebody shout position. position. So here in verse 13, Paul uh, tells us about our position in Christ. You know, it's, it's tempting in our Western society to talk about the condition of the believer. The condition. Like what you have. Like what you're going through, right? Uh, and the reality is those things are important, but, but maybe we should switch, uh, uh, flip the switch and, and talk more uh, about what the enemy can't shake. Uh, maybe we should talk about what the enemy can't change, and that is your position in Christ. Somebody shout in. Uh, this is not about temporal things. This, this is about eternal things. This is not necessarily even about your happiness. This is about your holiness. Let's stop celebrating the things that the enemy can shift, and let's focus our attention on what he can't change. Your position in Christ. Now, some of you, you're not getting too happy and shouting too much uh, because sometimes it's hard for us to remember what that means in your position. In your position, it means you have access to the Father. It means you have access to this grace and this power by which we stand. Or when you have, when you understand your position, it has a tendency to impact your condition. Uh, but let me, let me keep going. I don't want to hang on that too long. Uh, verse 14 goes on to say this. It says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one. Somebody shout one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and with his commands and regulations. Watch this. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Did you catch that? Out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Yes, Here we see that Jesus' intent, that Jesus' goal, was always to make the two groups one. The two enemies, one. The two strangers, one. Somebody shout one. One. As a matter of fact, he says he wants to build this one new humanity. Like, I'm often in conversations, maybe it's like Pastor Chipper, I don't know. Y'all farther along than we are. Y'all don't have these kind of conversations. Why? But, but sometimes like people will say, it feels like you're trying to make this a black church. It feels like you're trying to make this a Hispanic church. Anytime we, we sing us, do something in Spanish. Maybe you're trying to make this a Middle Eastern church because it seems like we're eating a whole lot of Middle Eastern food. Like everything's about making it a church and a category. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you're missing the message. What we're trying to make is this one new humanity. If you got a category for this, then you're missing the point. Like, we're trying to make this something maybe you've never seen before. Amen. So I want to talk to you about the second point, and that is opposition. Somebody say opposition. Uh, my, a friend of mine invited me to come preach at his church uh, at, a, at a student retreat. And I was like, man, I got you. I called him up about a week before I was supposed to go. And, uh, you know, just checking in, making sure we're on the same page. And he's like, oh, man, I forgot to tell you. The retreat is actually a hoedown. Woo. I said, a hoe what? He said, it's actually a hoedown. I had never been to a hoedown before. And so I start trying to Google it to figure out what a hoedown is. I didn't spell it right the first time. I'm like, what in the world is a hoedown? And finally, I figure out what a hoedown is. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Whoa, I don't know if you got the right brother. 
you like, man, I've heard you speak before. You'll be fine. You'll be, you'll be good. Don't worry. So I take some students with me because, you know, I take students with me who feel called to ministry. So we're all driving down uh, to, the, to the retreat. And I asked them on the way, y'all ever been to a hoedown? And, and all of them were like, nope. Uh, and I was like, well, we can all check this off the bucket list. Come on, say amen. And, and we get, we get to, the, to the retreat and, you know, I walk up to the door and I start hearing the music. <laughs> it's country music. And people got on big old cowboy hats and, and bandanas and belt buckles and cowboy boots. And they're out there, yee-haw, and line dancing. I'm like, what have I got myself into? And I start looking around the room. I'm trying to find, is there anybody in the room that looks like me? Is there anybody? And there were two of us. And I brought the other one. I mean, it was like, what in the world? Now, how many of y'all ever been to a hoedown before? Anybody ever been to a hoedown before? Like, do they play the electric slide and Cupid Shuffle at the hoedowns? I, I, I think they did that because I was there. Like, I don't know. I mean, they're trying to help a brother out, you know what I'm saying? But before long, I'm out there, you know, line dancing, do doing And then I preached this simple message about God's break, about God's grace. And there are 200 students in the room, and about 12 of them, uh, about 12 of them give their life to Jesus for the very first time. And about three are recommitments. And that's a good place for amen. Come on, say amen. Now, the reason why I tell you that story, if I'm honest, there was a part of me that was not sure. Amen. I wasn't sure if they would listen. I wasn't sure if it was the right context. I, I battled, like, what kind of message do I give? And, and why do I tell you a story? I tell you that because even though there's sometimes mess going on inside of us, God can still use us. Oh, who am I talking to? Like, like even though you're not perfect and you ain't figured it all out and this thing of reconciliation and stuff, you, sometimes you say stuff you, you shouldn't have said and sometimes you put your foot in your mouth and sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard and sometimes people are acting crazy. Y'all ain't saying that, man. Like, the reality is, even though there's mess going on inside of us, God can still use us. Yeah. Opposition. The opposition is not always external. Sometimes the opposition is internal. And, and so what he's talking about, our position in Christ, he's trying to point them back to who they are. If you begin to understand who you are and this love that God has for you and what you're called to be, not only the sound theology, but sound ecclesiology of who we're supposed to be at the church, then you begin to understand what's happening around you. Uh, if there were no devil, God, save me from me. Deliver me from the junk going on in my mind, in my head and the, and the hurt and the pain that I've dealt with in the past so that it keeps me from dealing with stuff around me. Like sometimes uh, you got to go over stuff because the enemy is always trying to erect walls. Walls you got to go over, walls you got to go around, sometimes walls you got to dig under, and sometimes, bless God, walls you got to kick down in the name of Jesus. Is anybody in here with me? So, so what, what, what Paul is writing about in the temple is he's writing about this reality that, that the temple, that the place of worship had become this, this institutionalized venue of segregation. That, that this, these places of worship, there were these four different courts. There was this institutionalized venue of segregation. The priests and Jews and women and Gentiles and people were in different sections. And he's writing because he's saying, I, I, know, I know the way we used to do it. <laughs> I, I know the way it looks right now. But I want you to understand that what Jesus came to do is to take all these four courts and make them 
one. <laughs> oh, it was so countercultural. Oh, they didn't like it. Oh, I mean, he got a lot of opposition. Why? Because he's saying, let's bring the two groups together. Let's bring women into the room. Let's bring children into the room. Let's bring black people into the room. Let's bring white people into the room. Let's bring Asian people into the room. Let's bring native people into the room. Let's bring, we are one. Oh. And if we're not careful, we will continue to make the church an institutionalized venue of segregation. Which is why I love churches like Garfield, because you're living this out. You're, you're pursuing this in such a way that we're seeing it uh, come to life around us. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. Uh, he said, but the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Watch this, and this is why I love what you said uh, to us earlier today, Taylor. He says, I meet young people every day whose disappointment with the church has risen to outright disgust. You would have thought he wrote that in 2020. But King wrote this in 1963. He, he wrote it as a part of his letter from a Birmingham jail. And what most people don't know, he's responding to a letter to the Birmingham jail. Have you noticed how hard it is to find that letter? I found it. And it's written by multiple clergy who are in the Birmingham area who are trying to convince him, you know what, like you, you, you're trying to go too fast and you're trying to say too much and you're a little bit too disruptive and, and violence is going to come if you keep doing this. And, and so clergy, people of faith are telling him, mm, a little too much. And this is his response, part of his response yeah, yeah. to clergy. So my question is often like, what stops us? Like, what stops us from confronting some of the powers around us? Uh, sometimes we think it will never change. Um, sometimes we think people with power won't listen. Uh, sometimes um, we think it's not worth our time because, you know, maybe it's easier to be silent. M maybe it's easier to not speak up. Or, or maybe, maybe... We're gatekeepers, and we're too connected to the power. Today, the walls are not just Jewish walls and temple courts. Today, they're racial walls. Today, they're political walls. Today, they're gender identity and orientation walls. Uh, today, there, there are mass, no mass walls. There, there are all these different things, linguistic walls, cultural walls. Uh, can we just stop uh, listening to the media and all of these outlets to tell us about how we're supposed to live as followers of Jesus? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't listen and you shouldn't hang out, but like telling us how we're supposed to live as followers? Yeah. Oh, if that has become what we are following or what's speaking into us and not scripture, We've made, we've made a huge mistake. I love the way Brian Loritz talks about this. He, 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 he talks about this one new humanity. He helps us to understand that there are two different words for new here that we need to understand. The first kind of new uh, is neos. Everybody shout neos. Like this is new as it relates to time. Uh, in other words, the latest thing. Um, but what, what Paul is talking about here is not neos, he's talking about kainos, and kainos is new as it relates to kind. And so he's talking about innovation, he's talking about inventiveness, he's talking about like, this is not the Tesla, but this is the Model T. 
Like, this is not the Boeing jet, but this is the first plane that was ever created. What he's saying is what God wants to do, there is no category for this yet. What Jesus came to do with you and with me is to create one new humanity. So this is not a Jew or Gentile thing. This is a new thing. And watch what it says here at verse 19, if you slide down uh, in chapter 2 of Ephesians. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, somebody shout in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in, somebody shout in, in the Lord. Not in you. <laughs> it won't work if it's in you. In, you, in your politics, it won't work. In, in your cultural uh, preferences, it won't work. It says in who? Yeah. In him. You two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, some of you are trying to, you know, trying to track, like, is he Republican? Is he Democrat? Is he independent? Like, when he started talking about his politics, like, where, like, you know, the double dutch, where he at? Where he at? Where he at? The reality is, I'm talking kingdom. <laughs> and when we try to put God into these categories and these camps, like, we totally miss what's happening in these texts, in this text. He's bigger than that! <laughs> so the last thing I want to talk to you about is this, this idea a family unity. In the ancient world, the church soon became the only place where meaningful relationships were built crossing these kinds of lines. Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male or women. Can I just suggest something? Um, there is no black Holy Spirit and white Holy Spirit. There is not a spirit for women and another one for men. There's not a spirit for adults and a smaller junior Holy Spirit for children. There's one spirit. And we have this one spirit to drink. We have this one way of living. And that is the way of Scripture. It's why the people uh, were called the people of the way before they were called Christians. Why? Because God has called us to do something and not just be something. Are y'all hearing me? We're not just, just saved uh, from something, we're saved for something. So if you, get, if you get anything twisted in the message today, I want to I remind you it's really about two things. It's about reconciling people to God, and it's about reconciling people to people. That's it. Because it's easy to get tripped up. Like, the gnat in the ear can, you know, a word I said, oh, that, is he, you know, it, 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 it. it's easy to get the gnat in the ear. So, so to just lay it out. <laughs> reconcile people to God. Reconcile people to people. Yes, sir. It's about both. Yeah. It's about both. And, and so if we just want to reconcile people to God, but we forget the second part. <laughs> or I've met people who want to do the second part, but don't want to do the first part. <laughs> right? And so it, it's both. It's both. Somebody shout both. Uh, I was out preaching much like I am this weekend. And um, Pastor Chip, when I got off the plane, I, I couldn't get a connection. My connection was tight. And um, I wasn't hungry, Pastor Chip. I was hungry with an O. Mm-hmm. I was hungry. Uh, that's a different kind of hunger. And uh, maybe even I was hangry. Y'all ain't saying amen. Like, I just needed something to eat, right? And I'm trying to, you know, trying to be healthy. So I'm trying to find a good place to eat. And, and everything is closed. And then finally, I see a Popeye's chicken like, <laughs> oh, I wheeled that rental car into that Popeye's chicken uh, drive through I was like, ma'am, can you give me a two-piece? Can I get some dirty rice and some green beans? And she was like, sir, 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 sir. I am so sorry. We out of chicken. I was like, what? I'm thinking what you're thinking. You Popeyes. How in the world does Popeyes run out of chicken? She said, we just had two buses of football players. We're 
completely out of chicken. And I'm thinking like, turn off the light, close the door, shut down the, the restaurant. Why, why would you do this? And I think the reality is, if we're not careful, we can become people of God or people in churches without reconciliation. We can champion this and we can champion that. And when it comes to reconciliation, we're silent, absent. I don't want to be a papas. No chicken. Do you <laughs> want to be a papas? I didn't think so. So it's tempting though. It's tempting to talk about reconciliation without doing the work of reconciliation. It's tempting to deal with diversity and not deal with this as a form of discipleship. It's, di- it's tempting to have surface relationships when we know we're supposed to go deeper. It's tempting to focus on events and programs and not address the systems and the power and the policies that are going on around us. It's tempting to live in comfort in the safe and sanitized version of ourselves and, and, uh, and not deal with the, the conflict and the realities of what it really means to be crucified with Christ. Reconciliation is a finished work in Christ. We don't finish this. Christ has already finished this. What do you mean? Um, Much like our salvation where we go through the process of sanctification, reconciliation is similar. Jesus has already done his part we now have to do ours. Are y'all with me? And that through this process of reconciliation, we begin to live into what he has already prepared for us. Now, some would argue that this is in this space of confronting power is what got the, the prophets and the, and the leaders like King assassinated and, and martyred uh, and, and their lives and their families devastated. And the reality is, yes, it will. And the, the truth is, sometimes it will happen to you. Like there are times when I'm talking about this, that my reputation Reputation is crucified. Yours might be too. There are times when you deal with this kind of stuff that you just might. I I was listening to one of the leaders of the Greensboro Four. Uh, He was talking about the the, the first four young men who sat at the table of the uh, Woolworths counter. Uh, The reality is they were actually supposed to be four women from Bennett College who were supposed to do it first, or a group of women. Um, I won't tell you the whole story of that, but he, he tells a story about how when they showed up, it was just four of them. And, and he said that when you do this kind of work, people will say they're going to show up, but they don't show up. Um, he says, don't always expect the masses to show up when these kind of things happen. But, but then he says something else that just messed me up. He, he said that when you do this kind of work, uh, you can expect death threats. <laughs> that sometimes an indicator that you're really in there with the powers until you start getting death threats. So let me talk to you about five, uh, four practical things I want to leave you with real quickly. Four practical things that King teaches us and I think Jesus teaches us uh, practical things that we can do. Number one, proximity brings about urgency. Proximity brings about urgency. Like sometimes we're not close enough to the people or close enough to the pain to really understand what's happening. And when you get close enough to the issues, you start seeing not only that they're issues, but they're people. Come on, say amen. And there are issues that people 
lives are being impacted by it. Proximity brings about urgency. Second thing is posture ourselves to ask tough questions. Like, who's at the table? Who's not at the table? Like, we have to be in positions to ask hard questions. And if we can't ask hard questions, we may have made something in our lives an idol. Third thing is prepare for marginalization by some in the church and by society. You will be ostracized. You will be cast aside. Prepare for it. Like, don't think that it's strange. Think it not strange that these fiery trials have come upon you, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is your reward in heaven. And then the last one is this. Problems must move to issues we organize around. That when we begin to see what the real issues are because of our proximity, we begin to understand that there are things that we can organize around. Uh, last story, and then I'm going to close. Um, I was invited to go boating with a friend of mine, and I'm not a boater. Come on, say amen, somebody. But, you know, I went. And he takes, he takes me out on this, this, this huge lake, and uh, he throws behind the boat this, this thing he called a mega bowl. And uh, I get in the bowl because, you know, I want to have fun. You know what I'm saying? I'm a former youth pastor. I'm daredevil. I got into the mega bowl. You know, I'm, I'm out there bouncing around on the water. I'm waving at people at the, on the shore. What's up, y'all? We all tubing around here. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I'm right. And then, you know, Pastor Mike, who's driving the boat, he makes a turn. You know, I've never been tubing before. I don't know why he's turning. And then I realize why he's turning. When I get to where the turn is, I fly in the air. The mega bowl is flying. I'm flying. My legs are flailing. My arms are flailing. I hit the water and I look at Pastor Mike. I'm like, quit playing, boy. What you doing? What you doing? And Pastor Mike has this like bulging vein in his forehead. He looks like he's angry and he gives that red boat everything it's got. And I'm like, please, Pastor Mike, don't turn. Don't turn. Whatever you do, don't turn. And Pastor Mike turns. And this time, y'all, I fly through the air, arms flailing, legs flailing. I can't hold on. I fly out of the mega bowl. I'm yelling. My kids are in the boat. My wife is in the boat watching me fly through the air. And I crash down into the water. I'm taking down, taking in water. I'm going down. And Pastor Mike speeds off. And I see this little grin on his face as I'm like going down in the water like, what just happened? And I know he's not going to get back to me in time. And I'm going down, y'all. And I'm thinking to myself, God, don't let me die out here in front of my kids. And then I realized I had a life jacket on. <laughs> and I started rising to the top. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because see, what I forgot to tell Pastor Mike was that I could kind of swim. <laughs> At that time, you know, you kind of swim when you swim in pools. You know what I'm saying? Where the goal is just get to the edge, right? If you could just get to the edge, you know, we can all swim around here. But when you're in a lake that is three miles that way and five miles that way, the edge is a long way away. And so they get back to me and I have this moment where God says this to me. And this is where I want to close. That moment when I was on top of the water and he said, be still. I know that I'm with you. And I want to suggest to you, sometimes when you do this kind of work, it'll feel like you're taking in water. It'll feel like it's overwhelming. But I want to suggest to you, when you're in those places where you don't want, know what to say, when you don't know what to do, understand, be still, and know that he's with you. That what Paul is talking about in this text, he's talking about you. He's talking about me. And if we stay the course, we'll see the salvation of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. So as we move people from strangers to family, you'll, you'll have the up and downs. You have the times where it feels like it's going great, and then you'll have like a 2020 where it feels like all hell broke loose. Stay the course and see the salvation of 
the Lord. Amen. Amen.